Um, so our family has been described as fun. Um, one of the things, though, that people might first recognize when they see our family uh, is, and we've had this happen to us, or people go like, what's up? What's going on here? I think that's the most awkward way we've been asked is what's going on here, uh, mostly because uh, we just look differently. Um, and so uh, because our family, in fact, it's really cool how this works out this week. Uh, tomorrow is our family's ninth birthday. And so nine years ago tomorrow, we, yeah, you can clap for that. That's a big deal. Uh, we're okay with cheer. I'm okay with you cheering. Feel free to cheer throughout the sermon for all the, the highlights. Uh, our family nine years ago stood in front of a judge here in Hennepin County, and uh, he declared us officially a family. And, and so Zariah and Zoe and Kelly and I uh, were official. And it's, it's just been magical since then. It's perfect. If you're a parent, you know how perfect life is. Um, so this is pictures from that day, our official first family, legally family pictures. And uh, they've grown up a little bit since then, a little bit taller. In fact, I think they're taller than Kelly now. Is that official ruling in our house? Yes. Our girls say yes, they're taller than Kelly. Um, and so much has come uh, that we've learned what it looks like to be a family. I think if, if you're just in a family, right? If Whether you're a kid in a family or a parent or just maybe an aunt or uncle, uh, you know that there's something happens when you're with family, people who are uh, committed to you, people who aren't going anywhere, uh, people who love you in your worst, get to experience your worst and stick around. There's something that happens uh, as we're uh, called to be a family. Uh, and for us, we have a maybe a little more unique or different story in that our family is an adoptive family. And so we've got to experience that. And I'll share a little bit later about more about this, but uh, really our, like God has led us a lot in that story, all of us in that story, um, all of us in our family, in the way he led us and really has even encouraged us and that this is the story of all of us. And so today we're in the book of Romans. We're, we're uh, walking through Romans together for a while here and we're in Romans 8. And we're learning a little bit right now of what it looks like. How do we live then? If the gospel is true, if, if we are sinners, if we're broken, but God has come to rescue us and, and, and fix our broken hearts and make us alive while we are dead, what, what does that look like? And maybe what does it look like for that to play out uh, in our lives? Maybe practically and also just like at the core foundation of how we think about our days, how we think about ourselves in our days. Um, and so we're going to continue in Romans. If you have a Bible, we're going to crack it open to Romans 8. Today, I'll have the passages up on the screen. A couple quick resources we share every week, but just a reminder, on our app, we have all sorts of resources of all, all of our messages from all three of our locations, and we have studies and devotionals, all sorts of things from years and years of people creating things. I encourage you to hop on there. We have a uh, Romans podcast that Pastor Steve, our senior founding pastor, created. And we also have journals. If, if you are new and you don't have one of these, I think we still might have a few. We have these Romans journal. Uh, it's the book of Romans with space to journal. So I encourage you to grab that. Uh, it's been fun to see people bring those now over the last year and see them kind of fill up and the pages get crinkled. It's like, it's, it's sort of like this sweet, like artifact from this season of our church's life. So I encourage you to keep doing that. Um, but we're going to jump right in here. We are uh, in Romans 8. I'm just going to give a quick overview. We've been in it for a few weeks uh, so that we know kind of where we're at, how we're kind of the runway into what we're looking at today. Um, Romans 8 comes off of Romans 7. It's a big surprise, but uh, it comes off uh, of an opportunity that Paul, like for all the Romans, has continued to unpack this idea that whoever you are, wherever you are, 
that we're broken, that we've turned from God and we really deserve this wrath. We deserve this punishment for that. It's hard to hear that. But the, the really good news is he didn't just leave us there, that he actually comes himself in Christ and says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the work to pay the penalty for that. And if that's true, that we're sinners, that in fact, we might even be more sinners than we realize. And it's true that God loves us way more than we realize to the point of coming to rescue us from that, making us whole, making us a family. If that's all true, then what does that look like? And, and uh, Paul here is gonna start reminding us of things I think that creep in, the things we start believing, uh, reminds us of really great truth. So he starts in Romans 8, 1. He says, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There might be a belief like I, okay, Jesus did it, but I'm gonna keep sinning. And so then there must be this like judgment put on me. And he says, no, that's not true. There's no judgment put on you. And then in Romans 8, 5 through 11, he continues to impact. And he says, actually, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on the flesh and desires. He's now gonna set us up with this way to think about this. The flesh, meaning kind of like our own desires, our own, not just our body, but our, our souls that desire, our motives are for ourselves and they're not of God. Uh, he says, we might be people who set our minds on those, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have set their minds on what the spirit desires. So he's saying, are we people then who look to the spirit or to the flesh, to ourselves ultimately, or to God for what it looks like to live? Uh, and if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, the, the thing that raised Jesus from the dead after he died, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Over and over in Romans, we hear this, call to, to pursue God, to holiness, to, uh, to what it looks like to believe the gospel. And over and over, I, as I'm reading it, I go, oh, I'd be great, but I feel like I keep turning to things that are not what God has. I keep feeling death in my life around me. And Paul keeps reminding us, the one who brings life to you is not you, um, but God, his spirit. The one that raised Jesus from the dead can resurrect you and your life as well. And so that walks us right into our passage for today, Romans 8, 12 through 17, just a continuation of this thought. And he's really going to get to what does it look like to fight this sin? I'm just going to read the whole thing and then we'll take some time to walk through this thing together. So then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. He just said, we're people who are filled with the spirit. If we have faith in Christ, we're filled with the spirit that raised Christ from the dead. We're not debtors to the flesh, no, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. All right, let's get into this a little bit. Our first chunk here reminds us of what a, a really a calling that we're called to. So if it's true that the spirit of God is in us, it's true that we are people who, because of our faith in Christ, want to turn to God and, and what he has. He says, what do we do then? Well, he gives us this kind of calling, this plan. He says, you're not debtors to flesh anymore. Christ has paid for what the flesh was owed. And so we now get to live by the Spirit. And in fact, the Spirit calls us not just to live and maybe ignore or try to, try to not hear as if it's like a bully who keeps yelling at us. Just say like, hey, just ignore him, he'll go away. It actually says we kind of go on the offensive. 
The Spirit of God is going to call you and has asked us to, to put to death the deeds of the body. So we have this new call to put to death. Uh, this word in uh, other translations is mortification. It's this opportunity to actually uh, kill sin. This word means a ruthless, heart, uh, full-hearted resistance to sin. Not, not a like uh, deal with it or try to keep it under, under wraps or maybe not under wraps, just keep it at, at bay. This is a ruthless, full-hearted resistance. It's a word that, that literally means give it death. It's a word that, uh, that is violent and total. It means that we want to reject those things that are not of God. This isn't necessarily, I think when I first hear that, I might think, uh, so I have to like look around me and go like, that's bad. Make sure I yell at it until it's bad. It's, it, it wants to get way deep into our hearts, way deep into our attitudes, past just our behaviors and say, what does it look like to put to death those things that are not of God that actually bring death so that life could continue to grow in you? Uh, Tim Keller says, it's the kind of attitude where we take no prisoners and we pull out all the stops. And one of our jobs now is, to, is that we get to put sin to death, a thing that we wanted so desperately to do and couldn't. And now with the power of Christ, we can. And we do this uh, by remembering the gospel, ultimately. Because if we don't do this, then we, uh, we kind of fall. I think, here's what I do. I fall into a place where I re- think I am indebted to the flesh or I think that I can overpower sin or I just kind of get into a place where I believe that maybe my job isn't to put it to death. It's just kind of to, to keep it over here. Sometimes I like to keep it even so that like later I can go back to it. There's a sense of like, maybe this Jesus thing won't work out. Uh, I was reading this week and someone said, often sin grows in us because of our self-pity or because we feel like we're owed something. And so we don't want to kill it because we kind of like living in self-pity and that we're owed something. I also was reading some Calvin and Hobbes and, and there's a lot of gospel in Calvin and Hobbes. And so I was reminded of these feelings, right? Haven't I suffered enough? Where all of a sudden there's this, this feeling of like self-pity, like, oh, I've, there's so much as bad has happened to me. I am owed this Sinner, I, I get to have this thing, right? And so I don't want to kill this sin because I, I kind of, I, I want it and I deserve it. And, you know, the world owes me happy, happiness and fulfillment and success. There's definitely a, that was very real. It's wild how I kind of read this. And then later I'm reading Calvin and Hobbes and Calvin and Hobbes like convicted me. <laughs> God's like, I'm going to use Calvin and Hobbes to remind you that you're not owed happiness or fulfillment or success. And how often I say, I don't know if I want to kill that sin because I think I want it later because I really start believing it's going to give me something that it's not. So this idea we want to consider, what does it look like to wage war on sin? And Paul doesn't just say, now go do that. Stop sinning, wage war. He does what he does over and over. And we see throughout scripture, it's not that the formula isn't now go stop sinning and try harder. The formula is, I, I'm calling you to this. And what does that look like? It looks like be filled with the Spirit. Remember who you are. It's to start with an identity change. This is who I am and what God's given me and, and the Spirit in you. And we're going to actually today see the passage reminds us that the Spirit not only uh, does the work, but the Spirit actually itself reminds us of this position we're in. 
And so we go off to battle sin and he says, hey, as you go to put sin to death, don't forget who you're going as. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. He's, the first thing he tells you is not, you got this. You can do this. I've seen you. You're so strong. Don't forget to bring a sword. Don't forget to bring your armor. He says, go put sin to death because you're led by the spirit. And don't forget you are a child of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So he puts, he puts, he says, you're no longer slaves. In scripture, we hear a lot this term that we're slaves to sin, that sin actually has a hold on us. It's using us. It does not love us. It doesn't care for us. And then we change not just to not slaves or free people, but we're actually, we're actually rescued from slavery into adoption to a family. People who were once orphans without family being used and ultimately dead to people who now have a family. Tim Keller puts, a, a, I think, a helpful characteristic. Here's what it looks like to go from a life of slavery to a life of adoption. And the life of adoption is the life that we go and fight sin together in. In slavery, uh, we obey under compulsion because we have to. In adoption, we uh, obey out of love and joy in daddy. This is daddy. The word Abba is in this passage, which means more of an intimate word like daddy, like we'd say dad or daddy. So instead of saying, I have to obey because I'll be in trouble, we obey because we love our father. It's different, right? It works under a threat of pain or loss, punishment. Right? We work because we don't want to be hurt or tortured or get payback. And in adoption, we know that our, dis- our discipline from the Lord is not retribution. It's, it's loving instruction. God actually wants us to grow and care for us. We hear the same thing in the book of Hebrews. A, a good father would discipline his children. And we have a good father who's doing it not because he likes to hurt us or because we're in trouble, but he does it because he wants us to grow. In slavery, there's insecurity. If I slip up, my master might beat me, might hurt me, might kill me. And in adoption, we have security. If I slip up, my father will forgive me. is isn't going anywhere. Slavery, there's a concentration on external behavior and compliance with the rules. Just do what you're supposed to do. And adoption, there's a concentration on relationship and attitudes. There's a love. We act out of a love. And a love is what changes us and, and moves our motivation. Um, and in slavery, not. And in slavery, it has to work. We, we have to work in it, but we're given no honor. This, and this is the gospel, friends. In adoption, God honors us and invites us to join the work. There's a difference in that. One of them we have to work and it doesn't matter. And one we get to work because of the love God has given us. So my hope here is we're going to walk through this next part of this passage and just unpack what this looks like. What does it look like, the, the gifts that we're given as a child of God? Because Paul here is encouraging us. If you want to be people who fight sin and do that together well, you have to start with remembering who you are as you go to battle. Not just go fight, but forget who you are and who you're representing uh, and who empowers you in that. So we're going to start with the first part. So as a child of God, in verse uh, 15 here, we hear that we have security. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We've been given uh, a security. We don't have to worry and fear and go, I want to... 
fights them, but what will happen? A fear like, but is Satan too strong? Can I overcome this thing? He says, no, in, in adoption, you have been called by someone. God has come and said, I want you to be my child. And you're here and I've committed to you. There's a covenant made with God. And he says, I'm not going anywhere. You don't have to worry about that. And I got you. I, I'm, the, I'm the creator of the world. I got you. So now you're going into battle with sin as a uh, secure in who you are and who has you and who's got your back. It changes things. It's a passage you'll see in here, even just a side note, the, uh, the word sons is used. And actually sometimes in scripture, it's translated sons, but it actually means children. Uh, in this though, intentionally it is sons because this word is different in here. It's because Paul's referring to sons because uh, contextually in the time that he wrote this, sons would have been adopted. So men would have been adopted uh, and they would have been adopted even sometimes as adults because someone wanted an heir. They wanted someone to be able to take over their fortune and their power uh, and they didn't have children or they didn't have a son. And so culturally at that time, a son was the one who carried those things on. It, it wouldn't have been women. They're actually looked at in some places less than men. And so Paul here isn't making a statement like only sons, only men get this opportunity. He's actually just referring to a cultural thing. So people go, when you're adopted as a son, you're adopted into like full, the full inheritance. The moment you're adopted, you now have the, the family seal on you, the family name on you. You have the, the power and authority of the family. You also have the wealth that comes with the family, the privilege that comes with the family. And so he's saying this just so he knows all of us though receive this. Later he's going to say that we're all children of God. That is the word for all children. This is one of the incredible things about the gospel that even Paul's saying in a time where he's saying, actually, I believe all people, men and women, get this inheritance. We're culturally around us. We only see men getting this inheritance. It's, it's incredible. Um, all right. Our friend Tacumbo has something great to say about this. The spirit will also replace fear of God with the freedom that children enjoy with their father. You feel that? Is that there's something about like a parent being close to you that changes how you feel. Those who are slaves to sin have good reasons to fear God. But as children, we can acquire boldness to approach God as our father. There's even a security knowing I can go to be by God. There's a security. And have you ever felt like uh, as a kid, I remember being scared and my mom would stand by my bedroom door, which really didn't like do anything other than I knew my mom was at my bedroom door. Uh, you just see her like silhouette in the door. But I felt so much safer. Uh, monsters under my bed no longer could get me because my mom was there. There's a God who's there with us. This changes how we approach those things around us. In John 1, 1, we hear, My little children, I'm writing these things to, to you so that you may not sin. Right? Similar language we've been hearing. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Like I could be concerned about fighting sin, that like it's going to make me sin or I'm, I don't want to get too close to it or I, I just want to maybe ignore it. It's saying, we though remember, in our sin, we have someone who's come and made it right in Christ. We have an advocate. So first, we have security as a child of God. Secondly, we have authority. I talked a little bit about this already, but we are given authority over sin and Satan. We go to battle now as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. It's very different than just me with my little sword going, I'm going I'm to stop this sin. I now go with the authority of the king who has overcome death and overcome Satan, the one who will make all things right 
one day. In Galatians, we hear, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. This law that we were at war with, that, that was over us, hovering, that brought death to us. Jesus comes in the law to defeat the law and he asks us to join him in that so that we might receive adoption as sons, as children of God. Christ has come, so now we get to have the authority to go into battle with our big brother and do that. I was reminded this week of the movie The Lion King. There's a moment in The Lion King, have you seen it, where Simba comes back, they think he's gone, and Scar, the evil brother who killed his dad, is a lot, it's very dramatic, it's very soap opery, as I <laughs> say it out loud. Uh, he comes back and he claims the throne, and he doesn't come back and go, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start at the bottom, I'll work in the mailroom, and I'll work my way up, and someday I'd like to be the CEO of the family business. He comes and says, because I am the son of the king, I am in charge now. And they have this battle, and Scar eventually, I think, gets attacked by hyenas. hyenas but the, we get this opportunity in our authority. We get to show up and say, in the name of Jesus, I stand up. I don't know how many, how many times you've maybe had a moment where you go, I'm, I'm lost. I can't. This sin seems to have the power over me. That happens to me. I don't know how many times I say, I go, I'm here in the name of the king. I'm here in the name of Jesus. I don't often. I forget that I'm here in the name of Jesus, even to say his name. How important. And so we're people who, as children of God, have security. We don't have to step into this battle of fear. We can step in this battle of authority of the one who has overcome sin and death and Satan, the one who actually rose Jesus from the dead, that spirit is in us as we move towards our battle with sin around us. And we also have such a gift of intimacy with our Father. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is a big deal. This isn't a, a part of passage you want to just skip over. This puts us in a place where we have a God, the creator of the universe, that we can come intimately be close to. We can call Dad. Father. We can cry out to him. Lynn Kohick says a believer's relationship to God is a familial one. Believers are children. As such, they have nothing to fear. Their adoption is secure because God has done it. They cry uttered in the spirit. The cry uttered in the spirit, Abba, Father, is confirmation to the believer that they belong to God. We can cry out to our Father. This goes kind of hand in hand with the next one is we are secure and we have authority as, as children of God, as children of the King. We have intimacy with the Father and that intimacy brings us assurance as we see as this passage moves on. We can cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The fact that I can move towards God and say, Abba, Father, and even desire to do that is not just incredible. And then I have this closeness with a God who cares deeply, draws near, but also it's a confirmation that I am his child. If you were to draw, if I were to walk up to a stranger and say, daddy, and, <laughs> and hold him, right? I would not get a reaction that was like, my son, right? And if I did that, someone would be weird to be going on there. Uh, but he says, yes, and he, he grabs us and he holds us. The cry of our heart allows us even to be affirmed in the belief. I think there's days I just forget or it's really hard to believe God actually wants me as his child. And the fact we say, Abba, Father, and he embraces us and, and holds us and forgives us, 
even that is, a, is an assurance as a child that he is our father and that we are his children. Like sometimes when in, in the battle of sin, there's moments where I go like, am I even like, does this even matter? Am I even a Christian? Like, what am I doing? And this is an opportunity for the Spirit to even affirm in us this um, sweetness. Instead of turning to a false father or a, a, a false parent or a false savior or God, I can turn to my father and he's there and assures it. It makes me think of as a kid, um, often I, I reference this, but I remember being scared of um, anything, right? A noise in the closet, which like gets louder and louder as you focus on it, or uh, a movement under my bed, or maybe I watched a movie with friends I shouldn't have watched. Uh, we had a friend in the neighborhood who like had no restrictions on their TV, so we watched a lot of scary movies, which did not help my sleep. Uh, and I would just lay in my bed and I'd try not to move because I didn't want whatever was under my bed to come out and get me. And I'd be so scared and I'd run into my parents' room after it was just too much. And I would, I think a lot of us have this, or maybe you even had this with a child come to you and you're scared and you get to hold them and comfort them. Or my parents would, it's okay. I think first round usually they'd be like, go back to bed. There's no monsters. And then I'd do it a few more times. And then I'd get the assurance that they were my parents. And, they, uh, and my mom would sit with me or my dad would come in. I remember as I got older, though, that uh, I think my dad was maybe just wanted to sleep. But he brought me in the room and he said, uh, I think there are monsters. He peeked in the closet. I think there are monsters in your closet, which seems like a poor parenting move uh, after I'm a little scared. And, uh, and he said, but I think you can take it. And I was like, what? He's like, well, have you tried to like kick it out of your closet? No, because it's a monster. So my head, it's too big. It's too strong. It's going to eat me alive. And and I remember he opens the door. He says, I'm going to open the door really fast. And I want you to kick that monster right out of here. As if that was like a thing we practiced. But when you're a kid, probably 12 years old, maybe I'm not like a little kid. he, He opens the door and I start chopping and kicking in the darkness And he's like, you're getting it. You got it. And then apparently I got it. Apparently I kicked it into the monster zone. But I slept like a rock. What a a good dad move, right? But he he just did everything that we just read about. He said, you don't have to be scared. I'm right here. You have the power to get rid of this monster. He opens the door. You have no fear. Let's take care of this thing. And I kicked that monster right out of that room. That monster never came back, friends. That's how awesome I am ever again. This is what's incredible. We have a very real monster that comes at us and our God has defeated it. And God's saying, I'm with you. I'm going to open this door and let's kick some monster behind. He empowers us to do that. He gives us that authority as he's intimately with us and ensures us of this. This is a miracle that our God comes with us and allows us to fight sin and takes care of that monster. And we know even that one day, we hear in the book of Revelation, that God will take care of that sin and Satan and death. Lastly, as we have uh, our next, we have our security. We have authority as children. We have intimacy and assurance as a child. You know that you're close and you know that you are a child, but we're also given, it says in this passage, an inheritance. And if children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is wild. 
God rescues us as enemies of his out of slavery. He doesn't go like, okay, let's not do that anymore. Go live a good life. And he gets, goes back to work. He actually invites us into his family, into intimacy with him, into closeness, into great love with him. And he gives us a future. And not just any future, a future where we inherit him and all of his riches and, and all that comes with the life that it is to be in the Lord. This is a miracle. And not only a miracle for us, traditionally in, in adoption, if we we're talking about the context Paul wrote this, there would have been like one son who would have inherited all the things. And he's saying here, clarifying, your heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. He's saying God has so much, all of you are heirs. Together we gain a future and a glorious future where God will make all things right, where a battle with sin won't, will be long, long gone that won't even be in our, in our vision anymore. But knowing that we have a future changes how we fight. Knowing that this isn't the end changes how we fight. Knowing that we don't have to walk in fearfully changes how we fight. Um, Amy DeMarcangelo, I guess I said that right, uh, says this about adoption. I think it's, it's really, really encouraging. Adoption mirrors the certainty of our salvation. We aren't partly saved or partly adopted. God doesn't allow us to enter into his family with a lingering threat to kick us out if we don't behave. We are his, we are his forever. Being heirs isn't just, you. Get, it could just feel like if maybe you've been in a family where uh, someone in your family passes away that has, has something and people go like, oh, good. Now I get, we all get this thing and they fight over this stuff. I think if we hear heirs, we might just think, what's the stuff I get? We've gotten everything we could ever want in God in Christ. Being heirs is, God is telling us we have a future forever that there's no partial adoption. You are fully in his family, fully forever. You can't do things to get kicked out. That's an incredible gift that we have as we move forward in our lives, as we fight sin and injustice, death around us, brokenness around us. I don't have to fight for our future. I've been given already. So I'm freed up my day to fight sin, to bring life to those around me. And lastly, as a child of God, it might be obvious, but we've joined the family. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. We really join the family business. We join the family culture. When, when people say, what's that family like? They use words that describe all of us. Which means in God's family, there's things like suffering that happens. At least right now, knowing that one day, it won't happen. There's things like fighting sin and injustice, being willing to sacrifice so that darkness can be pushed out of our lives, our friends' lives, our community's lives. It changes who we are and it changes our future. And it changes what it looks like to be together. It's one of the great gifts is not that God just saved you and then wants to hang out with you, but he's, he's rescued all of us and now gives you a family. One of the the most foundational desires and needs I have. The, the reason I often turn to other things, other idols is because I so want to be loved and not alone. And God gives you that in the midst of this. So now you're not fighting alone. You're not just kicking in a, in a dark closet by yourself. 
You are, you're with your family doing it. Not just the Lord, but together we get to do this. This, this story of us, our adoptive story, becoming family, is one of the things that really motivated us and changed us. The gospel is what uh, changed our, our hearts when we said, gosh, we want to be a part of this. We, we love that our family gets to share this picture uh, with the world of what it looks like to live in an adoptive family. And just like a, a little broken picture of the truer reality of all of our stories. In fact, uh, this book, Adopted for Life by Russell Moore, is one that I, we read long, I read long ago. Uh, that and Ephesians were two things that really spurred my heart, gave me this love for like, uh, my story is a story of adoption. How could we get involved with that story? And Russell says this in his book about understanding the doctrine of adoption and how that affects us. When we adopt and when we encourage a culture of adoption in our churches and communities, we are picturing something that's true about our God. We, like Jesus, see what our Father is doing, and we do likewise. And what our Father is doing, it turns out, is fighting for orphans and making them sons and daughters. This is like a foundation of the church, of who we are. If you say, hey, what does the church do? We fight for orphans and make them sons and daughters. Maybe like literally like actual orphans in our world, around the world or in our community. But this but I'm talking even bigger, right? Even bigger. Like all of our friends and our family around us, people in our community, essentially are orphans looking for a father who actually loves them, who actually wants to bring them in and bring them security and assurance and intimacy. And what we get to do is bring them good news that there is a father that wants to make them family. That's incredible news. And we get to say, there's room in our family for you. That's a, so the actual act of, of adoption or being a part of that or foster care is a great opportunity to bear that image. We, we get to, in all of our life, to be people who are changed by adoption and get to overflow that to those around us. The, the, the broken and heartache your friends are feeling and your coworkers and you are feeling at, at, at a foundational base level is because we forget that we have this heavenly father or that we don't. And we want to say, come, someone wants you and loves you. We see this throughout scripture, the same story of people being changed into people who now are, don't have fear as they enter into a life of fighting sin and not just in their own lives, but in each other's lives. What would that look like for us to be the people who would fight together for sin, against sin, uh, alongside our father? I want to just ask uh, this as we kind of end some of our time here. What, out of these true things about you as a child of God, which one is hardest to believe? Maybe which one is the one that, that you find holding you back from wanting to fight? Sin? I, for me, I've been uh, convicted this week as I've thought through this of which ones of these are the ones I look to other things for. I, I look to other, uh, a substance or a food or a, person or maybe just a screen that I think will bring me intimacy or assurance of who I am or bring me a future or make me feel like I'm part of a family or maybe just alleviate fear. Things that really don't bring those or, or just momentarily kind of bring them. These are all true of our faith in Christ and what God brings us. So how, how do we fight sin? 
We fight sin by remembering the position we're in, who we are, and then together fighting that sin as a child of God. I want to end here with a a video. I think uh, I'm not trying to make you cry, but it'll, we'll just watch the video. And then uh, I I want you, what I want you to do, I want you to think about what you're feeling when you watch this video. Like what, how am I reacting to this video? Why do we all react in the way we react? I think it'll help us understand here as we uh, close our time. Son Caleb is exercising, and he sneaks in. Caleb Lee, are you working hard? Let's go! Come on! not crying you should ask yourself why you're not crying <laughs> everyone's crying have you ever have you found yourself watching these there's like a this came from like a 20 minute compilation that i could get like five minutes into before i like couldn't see anymore <laughs> this does something to us right it, it it like something wakes up in us uh all these feelings come over us uh I, i've watched these and i have to text my dad you know, and say, I love you, Dad. And he's like, why? Why? Because I was watching videos about military people coming home. <laughs> you see what happens? They see their dad. Their dad who has uh, been off fighting. He comes home to them, and they can't wait to run, and they cry, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. It's like, it's so in us. This is, we're built to want this, to desire this, to be the people who, whose dad has been off fighting uh, for us so that we could have freedom, right? This is, the, this is the story. We have a king who is off, has fought the battle and won the battle, has defeated sin and death and has come home to us and we can run to him and hold him. And now we're secure and we're close and we're assured of who we are. That kid has a very different day. There's a video of one of a, of a dad running. Uh, he comes on the field at like halftime at a football game and his son runs off the field, like tough football guy and just tackles his dad and they're just crying and he runs back on the field. I'm sure he had a very different game. Like he, probably the best game of his life, right? My dad's here. Everything's going to be okay. This, this, uh, spark something in us because this is who we are and what we want to be. It's a picture of the greater reality of who we are. We have a father we can run to and say, Abba, Father, I need you. And he, he holds us and then he, he stands us up and he, we go and we kick some closet doors in and we push darkness and sin out of our lives. 
And that's the way it, it works. Not go fight sin and then come back and tell them if it worked, but together as a family, we get to do this. I'm gonna invite our worship team up. An opportunity for us today to sing to this good God, to cry out how good he is, to cry Abba Father in different ways, different words. I wanna encourage you as we respond to the gospel, uh, some questions to consider. Have you said yes to your heavenly adoption? Does God come and you, if you follow, I don't, I don't want it. I can do this. Can you, have you said yes to this? Maybe just today, again, you need to say yes to this. What sin is hard to put to death? Even consider why is that so hard to put to death? What, Who, who's helping me in that? You might need to call upon some other brothers and sisters to join you in that fight. How will you battle sin with your family? What does that look like to battle sin, to to walk in knowing you have security and intimacy and assurance and you have the authority to say you have no place here to Satan and to sin. And who, who do you know who needs to know there's a father who wants them? Other than me, I definitely need that. So feel free to tell me that. Uh, but who do, you, who do you know who needs to know that good news uh, that there's a family for them? We uh, respond to the gospel in lots of ways. Considering these things, we sing together to respond to this good news, we take communion. And so here at Hope, we, uh, our communion is out in the hallway on both sides. Uh, and we just ask that you're a believer, that, that you believe this is true, so it's meaningful to you. And we go, we break the cracker to remember Jesus' body broken, and we drink uh, the grape juice to remember his blood that was shed. And that was the work he did, the battle he did to fight sin and death so it no longer would have power over us, to free us, to make us family. And so we get the opportunity to do that out in the hallway. There's people who would love to pray for you in the back of the room. There's some people who want to join you in this. And so please uh, find a brother or sister in the back of the room. They'll have a, a yellow uh, name tag on. They'd love to pray for you. Um, you also can respond just by giving and supporting the ministry here, I hope, to help uh, more people know, know Jesus. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll start a time of uh, just singing together. Father, you're uh, incredible. You are good, good. Dad, and thank you that you would go to war for us and rescue us, and you offer us this gift of being your sons and daughters. I, I ask, Lord, that would not be taken lightly, that that would change us, that would wash over us, that we would walk into our week, even just the next hours of our life, different because we know you're here, you're with us, you love us, you're not leaving us, and you've empowered us. Thank you, Lord. I uh, pray as even just we sing that we're filled with that. We pray this in your good name. Amen.